Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. In his address to the National Lawyers Guild, 1938, Robert H. Jackson said that we too are founders. We too are makers of a nation called upon to defend, protect, and to make live new bills of rights. But let me ask you this, how can we form that more perfect union when literally millions of us right now have no idea where they're gonna lay their head down? No idea what roof is gonna be over their head because private equity, venture capitalists, far too many folks in the C-suite are gentrifying and displacing our folks, our families, our neighbors, our friends, kicking them out in real time for profits over people? Really? How can we form that more perfect union when we have a climate that is literally in crisis, a catastrophe? How do we form that more perfect union when we have fundamental rights, not suggestions, rights, from bodily autonomy to the very fundamental freedom of casting a vote at the ballot box? Those are being taken away. How can we form that more perfect union when right now thousands of us, tens of thousands of us are dying because they don't have health care. Langston Hughes said in Let America Be America Again, I say it plain, America was never America to me, but I swear this oath, America it will be. My friends, we gotta walk and chew gum at the same time. If we present a progressive platform, we will protect democracy at the same time. FDR said necessitous men are not free. We can update that in 23. Necessitous folks are not free. An America that fulfills its promises will render reactionary sentiment irrelevant. We have it within our power, Thomas Paine said, to begin the world over again. Let's keep doing that, yeah? Let's amplify the good work that's being done on the ground. From activists to community leaders. It's go time. Let's get back to work. They are unanimous in their hate for me, and I welcome their hatred. The KC Morning Show. Yo, what is going on? Happy Tuesday, Kansas City, and to the KC Morning Hoes all around the world. <laughs> My name's Hard Soul Tuesdays on this show. You know what we do. We take back America reclaiming that radical, progressive history of America. We've always had it. Should probably go back and use that thing, yeah? I think so. Tuesdays, we take back America with myself and Professor Harvey K., the Professor Emeritus over at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. Speaking of Green Bay, speaking of Wisconsin, your boy took a trip last week. I packed up Lando, a.k.a. my car, and we uh, headed up north. Got a chance to hang out with my brothers and sisters and new comrades during the Our Wisconsin Revolution convention featured historian John Nichols, which was just amazing. I've never seen John Nichols. I got like all of his books. That was awesome. Professor Harvey Case spoke as well. And then we were headlined by Senator Nina Turner. It was awesome. Friend of the show, by the way, Nina Turner. And in fact, over the next couple of weeks, Professor K is out traveling the world. We're going to be playing back some of that audio. We joined the good folks over at the UAW Local 75 in Milwaukee. It was fantastic. In fact, might play that audio back on 
Thursday. I highly suggest that everyone at some point in their life join your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your community, hopefully your labor union. Walk a picket, y'all. Seriously. Goosebumps every time. We are reclaiming our power. Yes, we are. So on the show today, you're going to hear from author, historian, columnist, John Nichols on your KC Morning Show. One of the most inspiring speeches that I've ever heard. I'm not kidding. I was losing it. It was awesome. After that, we're going to play some audio from Democracy Now. It's a news source that I go to damn near daily. And especially now when so much misinformation, disinformation, is just running wild, like Hulkamania out there just running wild. Talking, obviously, about the war in Gaza. Some of the most barbaric I've ever seen in my life. Just absolutely awful. We're going to send it over to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! How's that sound? Yeah, let's take back America. Rate, review, subscribe. Do that thing you do. Yeah, do that thing, Kansas City. My name's Hartzell. It is a good day to be a Kansas Cityan. Absolutely. We will see you in the morning. January 11, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Cityans must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. I'm going to introduce our first speaker. Um, so our first speaker is John Nichols. He's a National Affairs Correspondent. So John is a National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation. He has written, co-written, and edited over a dozen books on topics ranging from histories of American socialism, analysts of the U.S. and global media system. His latest co-written, co-written book was with Senator Bernie Sanders in the New York Times bestseller, It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. And I'm reading that right now, so I'm just like, I can't put it down, so I'm feeling it. Uh, so if y'all get a chance, definitely pick that book up, so I'll let you come up here. Thanks, brother. has come to Pewaukee. <laughs> I knew it would happen, I just didn't know it would happen this soon. Um, brothers and sisters, I know I should give you a great big speech about all the things that are happening and all the, all the big kind of picture stuff, but I'm just here to declare victory and say, after a day, after a day in which the United Auto Workers Union reframed the economic debate in America by forcing the automakers to accept 
their vision for the future of the industry where electric vehicles are made union, not non-union, and where they are made in the working class communities of this country after a day like that, I'm ready to declare victory. Oh boy, that's not enough. That isn't enough. Yesterday, the Wisconsin Supreme Court's new majority decided that they will take the redistricting case and they will begin to address gerrymandering in Wisconsin so we can get our democracy And oh, all their scare tactics, all their fears and threats, everything they did to try and get Janet Protosewicz to stand down was rejected yesterday yeah. when she yeah. said no. Tiffany's going to be running for the legislature next year. I know she's cautious because the district lines aren't that good right now, but my goodness, next year she'll be looking at that district saying, oh, this is so easy. I may not even have to campaign. <laughs> Possibilities at bottom. Oh, and I know, so that, that's good. That's good. I, I should be satisfied. I should be satisfied with the UAW reframing our economic debate, coming to the point where they will win that strike, by the way. This is not, they are no longer at the point of, oh, how's it going to go? They are already at the point of just, how much do we get? So they're going to do fine. That's good. Supreme Court's coming in. That's good. That's not bad at all. You know, I'm watching the Republican Party implode in Congress, literally collapse unto itself. That's okay. But I will tell you this, the reason I'm celebrating, the reason I am celebrating is because dozens of people are here this morning on one of the most beautiful days in Wisconsin, on homecoming day at the University of Wisconsin. So many things you could be doing, but you are here to say that the political revolution doesn't just occur in Milwaukee, doesn't just occur in Madison. The political revolution occurs in Fond du Lac. The political revolution occurs in Stevens Point. The political revolution occurs in Portage and Columbus and Viroqua and in Racine and in Kenosha and in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, brothers and sisters. Pewaukee, Wisconsin, the revolution begins in Waukesha. So I know, I know some people are going to say, whoa, I didn't know an organization like Our Revolution could find a comfortable place in Waukesha County. Now, traditionally one of the more conservative, one of the more Republican counties in the state, changing rapidly. However, however, I think Waukesha County is exactly where a radical organization ought to be. And I am calling Our Revolution a radical organization. Because I am deeply uncomfortable with our dismissing of the word radical. Too many times I hear people say, oh, well, you know, this idea isn't really all that radical, right? It's not all that radical to call for health care for all. It's not all that radical to say workers should be paid a fair wage. It's not all that radical to say that farmers ought to get their fair share for what they do. It's not all that radical to say that small business owners ought to be prioritized over multinational corporations. It's not all that radical to say, no, it's not all that radical, except in this society. 
It's absolutely radical. And the fact of the matter is, we need to embrace the concept of radicalism. You should not be apologizing for saying it, because look at what we're up against. Look at what we're up against. We have the largest military budget in the history of the world. The largest military budget in the history of the world. And we are telling mothers and fathers they can't get a tax credit to feed their children. We have the largest military budget in the world, and we have poor children in America. That demands a radical response. We just went through a pandemic. We went through a pandemic where they told us we were going to have shared sacrifice. Everybody is going to give because we want to survive. And who gave? Nurses gave. Factory workers gave. Teachers gave. Everybody gave except the billionaire class. And the billionaire class increased in size and almost doubled its wealth during the pandemic. That's shameful and that demands a radical response. You don't accept that and say that shouldn't ought to be in this country. Oh, and brothers and sisters, you look around all of the realities of our circumstance today and you realize that the proper response is not a status quo response. The proper response is not to say, oh, we gotta keep doing things the way we're doing them, or maybe we'll have a little bit of marginal change. Maybe we'll do just a little bit. No, the proper response is a radical response. The proper response is a demanding response. The proper response is a political revolution. say, oh my gosh, things are getting a little out of control here in Pewaukee. <laughs> Democratic socialists have invaded Pewaukee, sitting at the front door. <laughs> no, this is getting very, very unsettling, except like for one thing. There's nothing new about this radical response. There's nothing new about this radical faith. Is there Harvey K? There's nothing new about this. This is an American response. This is a country that's founded in revolution against kings and colonialism. Now they screwed it up bad. They, they messed up quick with that constitution. Look, you've got to be honest with yourself. They accepted compromises immediately in their constitution that they should never have accepted. But the fact of the matter is that original impulse, that impulse to throw off the king, to throw off the colonial powers, that was a good impulse. That was an American revolutionary response. That was a campaign response. That was the right response. They'll oh, no. know. They, they let, did they let Tom Paine write the Constitution? No, they did not. Right? They said, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're glad to have you call us to revolution, but now we're going we're gonna to get the, the landowners and the rich people. They're going to sit down and write themselves a Constitution. They're going to have, they're going to treat people who do the work in America as three-fifths of human beings. They're going to accept the original sin of the American experiment, human bondage. They're going to accept a United States Senate that wasn't even elected at the time of the founding of the country. They're going to accept divisions and dysfunctions in this country because they didn't really want, they didn't really want the great mass of people to be calling the shots in this country, right? They didn't, they didn't really want a revolution. They wanted a little bit of change around the edges, right? Why did we have an electoral college? Why did we say that the majority of the people may choose one candidate for president, but we're going to put somebody else in? That's power exercising its authority, trying to diminish 
the revolution, trying to deny the radicalism. That's why you need a radical response, right? You can't look at power, which will always go for whatever it can get, and then say, oh no, we'll respond with tinkering around the edges. No, 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 no. You look at that power and you say, we respond with a radical response, the response of Tom Paine, the response of the abolitionists, the response of the people who said, slavery will not stand in this country, segregation will not stand in this country, the discrimination against women will not stand in this country, the discrimination against the LGBTQ community will not stand in this country. Again and again and again, radicals have gone to the streets gone to the barricades and demanded that this country be fundamentally better than what it was. So I don't want a cautious response, I want a radical response, and I want the response of a Wisconsinite, I want the response of Robert M. LaFollette, Wisconsin's greatest son. I want that response that says the will of the people shall be the law of the land. Woo! Robert M. LaFollette, he was nobody. He was always the kind of guy that would meet in Pewaukee on a Saturday morning, a beautiful fall, fall day, instead of going to the homecoming parade. Robert M. LaFollette was out from out of Primrose, Wisconsin. Do you know where Primrose, Wisconsin is? No one does. Primrose, Wisconsin, down there in the corner of, of Dane County. Grew up, dad, dad died when he was a kid. He was a little, little kid growing up in this tiny, you know, crossroads farm town sat there with the soldiers who had fought in the Civil War. They would sit out on the bench in front of the country store. And the soldiers would say, you know, I don't, I don't understand. I thought we fought to fix this country. And we came back here to where we come from. And we still, we got, they ended Reconstruction down in the South. They put, put people right back into the conditions they were in. Now they don't call it slavery. Now they call it Jim Crow. Come up here to Wisconsin. Those of us who fought to fix this country, well, we're not given any say in this country. The corporations, the railroad companies, they're taking over everything. And this young boy, Robert M. LaFalle, he hitched up a buckboard wagon in 1873, went up to Madison, the big city of Madison, Wisconsin. He stood there and he went to a speech by one of the writers of the Wisconsin Constitution, a guy named Edward Ryan, who was about to become the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And Edward Ryan said, in that speech in 1873, which shall rule wealth or man? Who shall fill positions of public service? Brave and strong men and women, or the feudal serfs of corporate capital? And Robert M. LaFollette took that in as the central question of his time. And he went out and built a progressive movement. Did that movement come easy? No. That thing about that came easy. Robert M. LaFollette was elected to Congress and then he was voted out of Congress because he stood up for the rights of German immigrants to speak their own language. He stood up for immigrant rights against the power of the elites. And he was ruined politically. He was pushed to the edges. He decided to run for governor. He got beat. He ran for governor again. He got beat. He ran for governor a third time, going again and again and again, getting beaten and beaten and beaten, until finally, until finally, he went out there and said, we need a radical change in this state. I'm not fighting within the system anymore. I'm pushing without. I'm going to demand fundamental change. I'm going to demand that we open up our primaries. I'm going to demand that our senators are elected. I'm going to demand a fundamental shift, not just in which party is in control. I'm going to demand a fundamental shift in how we do elections. 
to make sure that they are actually democratic. I'm going to demand votes for women. I'm going to respect black people and immigrants and all the people that are denied in our politics. I'm going to bring them into our politics, into a new coalition, a progressive coalition that seeks fundamental change. Asking that core question, which shall rule, wealth or man? Wisconsin answered that question when it elected Robert M. LaFollette as its governor, and when it elected him as its senator, and when it sent him out as Wisconsin's candidate for president of the United States 100 years ago in 1924, when LaFollette carried Wisconsin and laid the basis for the New Deal. This is America's radical state. Going brothers and sisters, this is the thing you need to understand. What you're seeking to build here is not something new. You're seeking to renew, to build up something that has been here in our soil forever, but is sometimes ground down and beaten down. Now, brothers and sisters, you seek to build it up. And when you seek to build it up, you seek to build it up in that tradition, in that LaFollette tradition, that core Wisconsin tradition, which shall rule wealth or man. The answer is, Human beings shall rule, men and women taking charge and democracy being a reflection of our will. Yep. It, is, it is that Roosevelt tradition, the FDR tradition. When FDR, Harvey K, when FDR went in 1936 running for re-election as president of the United States, remember the file saying which shall rule, wealth or man. FDR answered that question when he stood there in New York City. Now, not Pewaukee. It's not a cool place like Pewaukee, but there he is in New York City in Madison Square Garden on the eve of the 1936 election. He said, the bankers don't want me. The speculators don't want me. Wall Street doesn't want me. They're all trying to defeat me. I welcome their hatred. There's nothing new about there's nothing new about radicalism. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, they've tried to make him into the softest figure. They say, oh, he was just a nice man. Even Republicans quote Martin Luther King Jr. Right? You need to remember what Martin Luther King Jr. did after the march on Washington for jobs and freedom. He and A. Philip Randolph, the head of the railroad workers, this is the brotherhood of sleeping car porters, the head of that union, they wrote a people's budget for all Americans. The People's Budget for All Americans, which they proposed in the mid-1960s, had universal, single-payer health care for all. Yeah. Not 2023, 1963. They had jobs for all. Everyone paid in a union and with fair wages. Not 2023, 1963. They had an end to discrimination. They had a system of pensions for every American. They imagined a social welfare state more than 50 years ago. And they put that forward. And you know what got in their way? War. The Vietnam War. The diminishing of our vision. The decay of our vision where we go off and fight wars we shouldn't be fighting. Build up that military budget and don't bring that money home. Oh, brothers and sisters, but the radicalism was always there. And then it got so dormant there. Got so dormant. For a long time, there are people working, working hard. Nina Turner working hard over in Ohio, doing the right thing, going out there. I met Nina Turner when we were fighting for labor rights in 2011. Wisconsin and Ohio, the Wisconsin uprising, the Ohio uprising, taking on big power, taking on everybody to say unions must be strong. Oh, I, I love that struggle, but we didn't, we didn't win that struggle in Wisconsin. You did win in Ohio. I like that. I'm still a little jealous. But bottom line is, 
the bottom line is, bottom line is, things got tough, got a little dormant. We struggled for a long time there trying to find out what we we're gonna do. And then there was a day in July of 2015. And my longtime friend, a guy I've known for a very long time, Bernie Sanders, called up and he said, yep. he said, come to Madison. We should have a rally there. He's just starting his presidential campaign. He was at 3% of the polls. 3%. Said, no, you wasn't getting any coverage. Nothing much happening. So they're going to come to Madison. We're going to start a rally. We thought, well, maybe we're going to rent the Dane County Coliseum, the biggest facility in central Wisconsin. We're going to rent that for our rally and see what happens. And other people going, oh, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if we can get too many people out. You know, it's like... <laughs> That's a lot. Oh boy, that's 10, 12,000 people in that, that space. It's incredible. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And Sanders said, well, let's give it a try. Right? And so he flew out to Wisconsin. He came, came over to my house that day. You know, Jane Sanders you know, ironed his coat so he would look okay. We see what, what's going to happen out here at the Dane County Coliseum. We finally get in the car and we decided to drive over to the Coliseum. And as we're coming over, there's a traffic jam. And Bernie Sanders turns to me and he says, is there a game today, a football game or something? Is there, what's going on? And I said, Senator, I, I think there's a chance that's for you. And he said, whoa, really? And we get a little closer and you can't get into the Dane County Coliseum. You can't get into the parking lot. And we're driving around and we're, you know, we're looking around, we kind of come in through the back. And then we get on and we start walking in because we couldn't drive up to a place where you would drop off the center. And so we're walking in with all the people, and people are young people, a lot of young people are turning, they're going, Hey, are you Bernie Sanders? And, they go, and he goes, Yeah. And he says, What are you here for? He says, We're here to see you. And there was a pile of bikes, there was like a thousand bikes, literally. They had started chaining bikes to bikes because there was no more place to, to chain them to. They chained them to every tree, to every pole, to everything there, all this pile of bikes. He says, What's going on with that pile of bikes? I said, I think those are all people who rode their bikes because they couldn't get through the traffic jam. And Bernie Sanders said, he said something, you know, in Yiddish, an old phrase that translates said, I am not worthy. <laughs> and I, I truly, I don't think he thought he was. But boy, we walked into that hall and every single seat was filled. 12,000 people had come, not just from Madison, but from rural Wisconsin, from across the state, from Milwaukee, from La Crosse, from Fond du Lac, from Viropa, from Columbus, from towns across this state, not because they had seen Bernie Sanders on TV, not because they knew everything about what this campaign was about, but because they heard there was this guy who was talking about a political revolution. They heard that there was a possibility of something radical happening, and they came. There was a young woman who had written Bernie, or had, who had her sleeve rolled up afterwards when Bernie Sanders was, was signing things and shaking hands. And she said, gave him a black magic marker, said, I want you to sign your name on my arm because I want to get it tattooed on my arm. <laughs> Bernie Sanders gave her the pen back. This is we're not going to do this. <laughs> but he said, he said, I understand what you're thinking. You're thinking we're part of something bigger that's going to go on for a long time. And he was right. Brothers and sisters, that radical impulse was there. People understood that they were going to need to fight for something more radical, something bolder than our politics had given us. 
And Bernie Sanders went on to win 23 primaries and caucuses in 2016. Millions of votes across this country, primaries that he said he couldn't win. And where did he win his biggest win? Oh, let's look across that country. Oh, there's so many places, so many contested races where, oh, he was facing some tough challenges. Where did he really win big? Where did Bernie Sanders, against all odds, in that primary campaign, win a landslide majority, win 71 of 72 counties, literally take suburbs, small towns, cities, winning everywhere? Where did it happen? In the state of Wisconsin. So brothers and sisters, do not tell me, do not tell me that your work is hard. It's long, you're gonna be at it for a while. You gotta figure out how to unlock this. But don't tell me your work is hard. Your work is simple. Maybe not easy, that's a bad word, but it is simple work. It is the work of going out there into those fields and planting those seeds. It is the work of opening those doors. It is the work of throwing open the windows and saying, let's let some sunshine in. The fact of the matter is, this is the basic work of building a political movement, but you are not building something new. You are building on a foundation that is so deep and so strong in this state. It is the foundation that Robert M. LaFollette built. It is the foundation that Kate Clarenbeck and people like that built when they built the women's movement in this state. This is where the national women's movement had its deep roots. It is in this state where it passed the first law protecting lesbians and gays from discrimination. It is in this state that again and again and again has been America's North Star. This state has been derailed. It has been attacked. It has been undermined by the compromises of Democrats. Democrats have not fought hard enough for what this state wants and needs. Now, I'm not letting Republicans off the hook, but I'm saying the Democratic Party has to be a bolder, more radical party. Because that's right. Because a radical party wins in Wisconsin. It's won before it will win again. And brothers and sisters, let me conclude with this basic concept. With this basic concept. If you promise people a little change, they will get a little excited. But if you promise people a lot of change, they will get a lot of excited. And if you promise people radical change, they will come out and march with you, and rally with you, and organize with you, and vote with you. Do not give people less than what they ask for. Give them what they need. Give them single-payer health care, Medicare for all. Give them address poverty, give them an end to poverty, give them education for all, give them work for all, give them a future for all, give them a radical future and people will come, they will come and they will vote for it. Our revolution, our revolution is a Wisconsin revolution. This state is America's North Star. We have always been up there in the corner, up by that Canadian border, saying look at us. Well, brothers and sisters, the moment is coming. They're going to redraw those legislative lines. They're going to open up our political process. 
and you are going to march into it with a radical faith and that radical faith will transform Wisconsin and when we transform Wisconsin we will transform the nation solidarity brothers and sisters
one thing that I found is as true as the sunrise. It's that I like being on there with hot The Casey Morning Show. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Joining us now, Nora Erickson. Palestinian Human Rights Attorney Associate Professor at Rutgers University, author of Justice for Some, Law and the Question of Palestine. She's speaking to us from Philadelphia. Uh, Nora, if you can respond to this order and what's happening in Gaza. Good morning, Amy, and thank you. Your reporting has been an oasis in a sea of warmongering across mainstream media, for which I have deep contempt at this moment. They have mobilized almost every racial trope of savagery, barbarian. They have built on Islamophobia and the infrastructure of the war on terror to create a common sense, logical conclusion that war is inevitable and whatever consequences come out is the fault of Hamas, thereby further blaming the victims for their own uh, killing and massacres. At this point, we have to understand that there is no military solution. There has never been a military solution to this. Hamas cannot be eradicated. As we've seen right now, Palestinians are being killed, pulled from out of the rubble. We have not given them hope. I saw a young girl staring in trauma at the screen, her entire family decimated. What will happen to this young girl in 20 years? What will we tell her? that Israel had no choice, that this was your fault, and now your future is to continue to be stuck in an open-air prison, there must be hope. And that hope lies in a political solution and in the responsibility of the international community to dismantle an apartheid system, to dismantle prolonged military occupation, the longest in the world, to lift a debilitating siege that has condemned Palestinians to slow death this is a human-made disaster, a catastrophe, according to the World Health Organization. This is not a crisis. It is a humanitarian catastrophe. If we are to create a future, it has to begin and end with a political and diplomatic solution. It's devastating, Amy. All of us are watching this. But one of the things that we've been emphasizing is that although what we're seeing is, is devastating, we've also been laying a pathway out of it. While international human rights organizations and Israeli human rights organizations came to near consensus in 2020 that Israel oversees an apartheid system, a crime against humanity. What is the greatest cr crime that is sustaining this ongoing structure of violence? There should have been mobilization to impose weapons sanctions on Israel, to impose a diplomatic solution, to force Israel in order to dismantle this racist colonial structure that has basically condemned Palestinians to permanent subjugation. It is the failure of the international community to mobilize that has now produced this outcome. It is all of our responsibility. There is blood on all of our hands. And now the way out is not a military solution. We have to de-escalate. There must be a ceasefire. There must be a recognition that Hamas, unlike these awful comparisons to ISIS and Al-Qaeda, is actually a nascent sovereign of the Palestinian people who has only targeted Israel, that gives them the right to use armed force, though that right is not qualified. That right is not, excuse me, unqualified. They cannot use it however which way, based on 
on ongoing trauma and violence, but it must be recognized that as a nascent sovereign, they are representing a Palestinian's people struggle for freedom. And as we've seen from the broad Palestinian public, institutions, civil, uh, civil society organizations, other political parties, they have all insisted that responsibility for this lies on at the feet of Israel. The Haaretz editorial team has also said this lies in the responsibility of Israel. This is not, to, this is not about finger pointing nor is it about being counting the dead. There is tragedy on all sides. But if we are interested, if we are interested in not only ending this particular crisis, but of also achieving a durable, truthful, long-lasting solution, we have to go beyond this moment to dismantle the structures of violence that are sustaining it and creating these tragedies that are hurting everybody and will spill beyond Israelis and Palestinians throughout the region and throughout the world. I want to ask you about the White House just saying that Gaza City's evacuation is a tall order. Uh, the Israeli army's call for more than a million people to evacuate North Gaza, a tall order, the White House has said, adding, the U.S. understands Israel is trying to give civilians fair warning. Your response, Nora Erica? That is so cynical. That is so cynical and can only be corroborated by an irresponsible media that has failed to show decimation of Palestinian communities, the attack on shelters, the attack on refugee camps. What warnings? To what end? Palestinians have been under siege for six years. There are no humanitarian corridors. The one corridor with Egypt was bombed by Israel. The minister of Israeli defense literally said that there will be no there will be no exit, that there will be a siege, that electricity will be cut off, that water will be cut off, that Palestinians are human animals. There has been a priming that all of these mass atrocities will be accepted by a population who will watch it with lament, but think to themselves, but what else was Israel supposed to do? We are all being primed to accept mass atrocities. This, historically, is the playbook of how genocides happen. What we are seeing is a genocidal campaign. You cannot forcibly transfer 1.1 million Palestinians in a 225-square-mile enclosed area. There is nowhere for them to go. The largest hospital, Palestinian hospital, that is literally on life support, no pun intended, to stay functioning, is in the north. Where will these Palestinians be treated? What we are seeing is an ongoing shrinking of Palestinian land, is an, ongoing, is an ongoing campaign to take that land without the people. They want to shrink and concentrate the Palestinians now below Wadi Gaza in, in what is an untenable situation. As much as we think that this is about war, it about war and conflict and perpetual animosities, this is about land and water. And there is only one viable future. We either all live together or we all die together. And despite all of our appeals for us to survive and live together, the international community, mainly the Western governments led by the United States, the European um, capitals who have already cut off aid to Israel, France, which has banned uh, Palestinian protests, Germany, which has banned Palestinian protests, are intent on a, a, a military option where there is no outcome. Military solution will not produce an outcome of a viable future for anybody.
You know, I already played this, but I'm going to play a much shorter clip of the former Israeli prime minister, because how significant he is, Naftali Bennett, who's now serving in the army in Gaza, um, exploding at the Sky News anchor Kamali Melbourne when asked about what's happening with Palestinian civilians. What about those Palestinians in hospital who uh, are on life support and babies and incubators whose uh, life support and incubator will have to be turned off because the Israelis have cut the power to Gaza? Are you seriously keep on asking me about Palestinian civilians? Are what's, you seriously you? asking me about what's happening to Palestinian civilians? The former Israeli prime minister, Naftali Bennett, said. Your human rights attorney, Nora Arakat, your response. My response is, doesn't have to be based on any expertise in human rights. This is about morality. This is about decency. The fact that Naftali Bennett can get upset about Palestinian civilians and the death of babies in incubators should be indicative to us that Palestinians do not have the same right to survive, that we are not, impose, we are not exacting an equality and, and a respect and a decency for all civilians life. We have set up this situation, Amy. We have set up this situation where Palestinians are expected to die. And what we are seeing in this moment is now an expectation that they can die in mass numbers, that they can die being um, in, in, in hospitals where they are cut off by electricity, by the, war, by the Middle East's only nuclear power the 11th most powerful military in the world. It's a, the 12th largest military exporter, and the United States and the European community is sending them arms. They do not need arms. This is not a security situation. This is not a failure of security. This is a crisis of political will. Nora, this is a, rather than normalize apartheid by inviting Israeli President Isaac Herzog to the Congress, Congress should have mobilized for an immediate imposition of sanctions in order to create a future where all people live, where all of us live, not just some of us. Now I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come, and I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world as one, and I believe it could be someday it's going to come. Cause out on the edge of darkness, there rides a peace train, or oh, peace train, take this country, come take me home again. Yeah, I've been smiling lately, thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, peace train sounding louder Tonight on the peace train ooh, ooh. Come on, the peace train The peace train, holy roller Everyone jump on the peace train Good friends too, because it's getting nearer. It soon will be with you. Now come and join the living. It's not so far from you, and it's getting nearer. Soon it will all be true. Oh, peace train sounding louder. Not on the peace train. Oh. 
Show. 